0: Hey everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane. Baby Lou is in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for Happy Hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 39.
1: I don't think the cat is in her room. but
0: She is. is. I put her in there with treats. Are you kidding me? I was on it tonight.
1: Never mind then. Continue.
0: I don't even know how you didn't notice me. I waddled myself in there and I grunted 20 times on my way.
1: You're getting pretty stealth with that waddle I've noticed.
0: (laughs) Shane, how are you doing today?
1: How are you doing?
0: <laughs> well, I asked you first.
1: I'm doing pretty good. I've I've written down some topics. Today's a pretty big episode, though, so I guess we should mention who's on it first.
0: We should. So it is an exciting episode. We have Aaron from Raw Beauty Talks.
1: Aaron Trelar.
0: Aaron Trelor.
1: I'm terrible with names. I today. think
0: it, I I think I'm saying it right, but you okay, could be right. Okay, let me say
1: it two ways, and then we can edit it in. Aaron Trelor. Yes. Erin Trellar?
0: Yes. (laughs)
1: Perfect. Maybe we leave that in.
0: So I discovered Erin online on Instagram, as I do most people. Erin is a speaker. She's a business owner. And she is a great ambassador for raw beauty, which is her thing. She has raw beauty talks.
1: What is raw beauty?
0: Raw beauty, I'd say, is just that self-love that you get when it's just you looking at yourself in front of the mirror.
1: Well, I think, too, she represents... um, I guess women not feeling pressure to put filters in Photoshop yeah. and Photoshop and raw means like it's just the real you. Exterior and interior. Yeah. And Aaron is also very good at bringing a grown man to tears. And first <laughs> I want to just give a little disclaimer. I am an emotional person. And in this episode you are going to hear a grown man weep. So if you're uncomfortable with that, skip over this interview.
0: But it, it really is a fantastic one and... Shane was brought to tears. I was brought to tears from Shane being brought to tears. And it's just, it, it's a really great conversation that we get into.
1: I'm a little bit embarrassed, but I, I kept it in because it's real and raw. And that's what Aaron would have wanted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I have two, to, like I have one daughter and another one on the way. And I was doing a lot of research for our interview with Aaron and a lot of the stuff, that I, I viewed really terrified me before I even got into this interview. So sometimes when Aaron's talking and I'm abstaining from speaking and, and I kind of let you take over at one point, it's because I was sitting beside you just crying. Weeping. Weeping. And then we talk about why. <laughs> why, why are you laughing at me, Alex?
0: <laughs> Sorry, honey. Go ahead.
1: And I explain why. But you'll get to that when you get to it. I just want to warn people if they're uncomfortable with men crying, (laughs) skip that part. And then we talked to...
0: We talked to Taylor Nolan. So she was on The Bachelor. She is a practicing psychotherapist and overall just super cool, super nice woman. So she talked about, you know, a couple Bachelor questions that we Mm -hmm. threw at her. But mostly we got into psychotherapy with her and how interesting it is to be a person who is so young, not only in the psychotherapy field, but then to be a young psychotherapist in the reality TV world. And she talked to Shane and I about some questions that we had about relationships and things like that. And again, just a really great conversation with somebody who is incredibly empathetic.
1: And you know, we, Alex and I don't really rehearse these interviews too much beforehand. And things sometimes do get a little out of hand. And I think, I might have spoken out of turn a little bit and upset my wife, Alex, and she was brought to tears during this (laughs) interview. And what happened was Taylor actually ended up calling us after this interview and giving us a real therapy session for 15 minutes. And we were very honored by that and think, you know, we have the nothing but respect for her doing that because she obviously didn't have to do that. And she didn't know we were going to mention it on the pod. There was no benefit for her doing it. She just did it because she actually cares. Yeah. So
0: both women are honestly so full of love and so full of raw beauty. And it's so natural that they were paired together for this episode. So I can't wait for you guys to hear it.
1: Yeah. Whether these people like it or not, I'm going to say this is an incredible episode. I'd say so too. (laughs) For us, at least, you know, (laughs) that is the truth. We grew a lot. We did. But I have some topics here. Let me let me go over them with you. Last episode, we, we talked about my birthday a lot, but we kind of skipped over Lou's birthday. And I wanted to see how you felt about, because Lou and I share the same birthday. Right. But we got gifts for me. I got gifts. Lou got no gifts.
0: Not quite. She got gifts. We However, did not
1: buy Lou gifts.
0: She did not get any you know shiny new gifts from us or from my parents we gave her things that we found wrapped up so my parents have had these really goofy frogs beside their bathtub for about 20 years and there's three it's a little family of the daddy the mommy and the baby frog and they wrap those up lucy's already seen them a dozen times at their house and she was the happiest kid in the world. To get those frogs. And she plays with them every day. She was like squealing with joy. And it was hilarious. So then that made me feel really good about the gift we gave Lucy. Which was a pine cone wrapped Just one up.
1: pine cone we gave well, her. Well, I,
0: I had put together a big bushel of pine cones. And then I lost it.
1: Lucy loves pine cones, by the way. She
0: does love pine cones. So this isn't incredibly thoughtless. We're not terrible parents.
1: But you feel like you're fine with not giving a two-year-old... Traditional birthday gifts, and by that I mean ones that cost money.
0: Look, Lucy is two. She doesn't get it. All she wants is the cake and the balloons and a little bit of extra attention on her. When it comes to gifts, we could use that so-called birthday money to buy something that she needs, like new clothes because she's growing a new size every two months. New shoes, whatever. And we can get things that are actually practical that she doesn't know she wants but she wants, right? right? But it's, it's difficult because you want to, you love your kid, obviously. You want to spoil them on their birthday. And for us, I just, if she doesn't know what it is to get spoiled, if she doesn't understand that you get presents on your birthday, like fancy presents, then what does it matter if we don't get her something? Let's use that money and put it towards the new baby. Let's use it and put it towards something that Lou actually needs and leave it at that because when she hits school that's you know every year it's gift time yeah
1: yeah as emotional of a man as I am you'll see that (laughs) this episode I was pretty stone cold about having no gifts for her and comfortable with that
0: yeah and we were like that during our first birthday I don't think we got her a single thing
1: no first birthday I I absolutely did not give a shit but second birthday, I was unsure if we'd get her a gift. Now we didn't. Third, are we going to get her a gift? Third birthday.
0: Yeah, I think she'll be more cognizant of what the celebration is. She's already getting into it so much more. We've had like eight family birthdays since quarantine started. So she kind of gets it now that, you know, everybody meets up. You have cake, whether it's over Skype or whatever, mm. social distancing. And then somebody opens a present. So I think by next year, she'll... You know, we might have to splurge a little bit.
1: But highs and lows.
0: Highs and lows.
1: Yes, I was wondering, are there too many highs and lows in, in life? Like, <laughs> <What>? have <laughs> let me explain. Have you noticed that since quarantine started, there's so many highs and lows in a week? I never realized how many euphoric moments and like low moments I get. Is this just me? You're kind of staring off on me here. Well,
0: I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think about any low moments.
1: Like, throughout one week, I'll be on, like, cloud nine. Yeah. And then I'll be like, oh, I'm a little, not depressed, but I'm like, I'm so, life isn't great. And then life will be wonderful. Like, life will be amazing.
0: See, even, okay, here's the difference. Like, I'll have 50 high and low moments in a day. Again, that's probably due to pregnancy. But even on a normal day, I have highs and lows. Except in my lows, I'm never ever thinking, oh, life isn't that great. I'm always like, oh, this one thing has got me down so much. Or yeah, maybe
1: not life isn't that great. Maybe like, oh, I suck or yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll get down on myself.
0: Yeah, but, but that, that happens without quarantine too. Okay,
1: that's what, that was what I was wondering because I was feeling that maybe because I'm not, I have nothing to really mark time right now. Time seems like it's going by faster mm-hmm. and it also feels like my highs and lows are... Happening more often, but maybe it's just be maybe during a work week, I have so many things to break up my day, which makes me feel like, oh, this is normal to be high here and low here.
0: Yeah, I will say, I think I'm having more highs in a week than I typically would if I was in a work week because there are just more shared experiences like me and you and Lucy. It's not like I'm doing something really cool with Lucy and then just texting you about it. We have these really great moments as a family that get me really high. And then the lows are just the same like I I think that we have more time to dwell on them and I think that if you find that you're dwelling on them too much then maybe remind yourself that okay this is getting me so down because I have the time to think about it I have the time to let it get me down
1: well I was also gonna say I find I have so little time to dwell on it (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't have... Like, where's all this time coming from? I have less time. So I'm like, oh, I'm a piece of shit. Then I'm just like, well, you are a piece of shit. But in another two hours, you're going to get a high. And then sure enough, I'll all of a sudden, I'll be on a cloud nine. So maybe I'm just very unstable in this time. But I find... You I have, seem stable. Thank you. <laughs> no, I'll take it. But I do feel like I'm way more rollercoastery than normal. And I can't tell if it's an illusion or not. And I realize... This might not be the most relatable topic in the world. might be a Shane thing and not a uh, ubiquitous everyone can talk about this thing. Um, Okay, I have screen time. Yeah. Screen time rules, do they not apply under quarantine? Nope. I have
0: decided that. Uh, They do not apply. You know what? I agree, by the way. Thank you. They'll apply to an extent, and the extent isn't an actual time. It's just, okay... I feel like this is too much. Kind of look at you. You think, you give me a nod and say yes, too much. And then we get up and we go do something. But we spend so much time, like Lou spends so much time outside and so much time doing tactile activities and reading and everything. And it doesn't, I, I, I honestly don't even feel bad about all the time that she is spending in the morning and last thing in the evening watching a movie because... I honestly feel like our days are so jam-packed with stuff, and I feel zero guilt about it.
1: Yeah, I feel no guilt. I was going to say the first rule of screen time is there are no rules under quarantine. Yeah. And we're dealing with a lot when sometimes—that's why I was asking about the high and the lows. Although I feel like I'm not super affected by COVID— Maybe there's some underlying thing that's rollercoastering my emotions. Mm -hmm. So I do think I am going through a lot more than I'll ever admit or realize, only on a podcast where I'm forced to face myself. (laughs) Uh, But these are my topics.
0: That's right. I think we need to have a psychoanalyst on here for you, though, babe.
1: Is this a segue? Okay, let's, let's segue into... <laughs>
0: no, I was saying a psychoanalyst, like different than a psychotherapist. I think we need to get somebody on here to have a little session with you and get you to look inside what's within and work on those things. I mean, we've laid everything bare so far. May as well get to the nitty gritty of what makes Shane tick.
1: I thought it's... I have Asperger's.
0: Well, you could. I thought I do. Well, I think you do.
1: Okay. Um, Do you have any topics, Alex, that you've brought to the table? I can tell by your concerned look, the answer (laughs) may be no.
0: No, uh, I actually do not today. And I I appreciate you bringing so many great topics to the table. And you know what? I am on cloud nine right now.
1: Well, you know what? This is a long episode anyway. So maybe we just go to the interview.
0: That's why I didn't bring any topics. Genius. Yeah, thank you.
1: But first...
0: This episode of This Family Tree Podcast is supported by Bravado Bras.
1: Now, I don't mean to brag, but I introduced you to your first Bravado (laughs) bra.
0: (laughs) You did, shockingly. You went to the store for me a couple days after I gave birth to Lou, came back with a nursing bra, and I stopped shopping right then.
1: So it was sheer luck, but it just happened to be a Bravado.
0: Shane, it was amazing luck it was the most comfortable easy to use bra and I've been recommending it to all my friends since so not only can I recommend this to my friends who are nursing which I do I can recommend them to all my friends because they just came out with their everyday collection with no clips same comfort so if you want to get in on this go to bravadodesigns.com purchase a bra and use this family tree 20 at checkout for a 20% discount all because of Shane, really.
1: You are welcome. Now please enjoy this interview with Aaron from Raw Beauty Talks.
0: Hi Aaron, this is Alex and Shane from this family tree podcast. Hi Alex and Shane. Hello. How are you both doing? We are so good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. We are so happy that you are here with us today. We've really been looking forward to this conversation. So, Aaron, you run Raw Beauty Co, Raw Beauty Talks. And while I know a little bit about you because I've been a follower of yours, and I really love everything you post. It, it is so refreshing, and it is just so inspiring to wake up and see that kind of stuff in my feed every day. But I was hoping that you could tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and your background. this, why this movement of self love and raw beauty is so important to you.
2: Well, you know what? It's something that has been part of the conversation of my life since I was. Probably 16, and I started this struggle that so many women are faced with around body image and my relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Um, I was diagnosed with anorexia when I was 16, and you know it was very hard at the time. But I was lucky enough to be admitted into an inpatient hospital program for three months, and uh, that kind of gave me a jump start. It gave me this this incredible period of time where I got to press pause on everything in my life and do a deep dive into understanding who I was and how to cope with things like the anxiety that I struggle with. Um, A lot of people don't get that opportunity in life, right? Like Mm -hmm. they don't get to press pause on things. I left the hospital program. I was at a much healthier weight than I went into the program with, but I still was struggling with my body and my relationship with food. And the struggle was largely perpetuated by the images of perfection that I was seeing in magazines and online. Mm-hmm. Of these women who were, you know, highly photoshopped and the the images were carefully curated. And even though, you know, even at that time, I knew all of this subconsciously, these images really impact us. And we're seeing this so much these days with social media, which wasn't even a thing yet back in the day. But it still had such an impact on the way that I saw myself and how I felt I needed to show up. In the world and so i i continued to struggle and my relationship with food was you know this combination of restricting what i was eating and then secretly overeating usually at night and then feeling so ashamed and like I had it was a complete failure and then cycling back into restricting the next day and and exercising to try and burn all the calories and it was just Mm -hmm. this really awful space to be in that I know so many women are stuck in I Somewhere along the way, had this idea for creating a space online where it would show images of women who didn't have the editing done, who were um, not wearing makeup, and where we could just talk about our relationship with our body and everything from, like, plastic surgery and yeah. Botox to our insecurities and uh, the, the experiences that we would had in our life that had shaped our relationship with ourselves. And so in 2014, Raw Beauty Talks was launched and it was an interview series featuring over 200 women uh, without makeup, photo editing or filters and real raw honest conversations. None of this like PR edited. (laughs) (laughs) It was just like women sitting down and laying it all out on the table. So I did that for a couple of years and I loved it, but I definitely got to the point where I was like, I cannot have another conversation with a woman or girl who feels like crap in her body when she is so much more than that. And so I went back to the drawing board and I looked at all the things that I'd learned. Um, I did my health coaching certification and really started to study and research and align myself with people who were experts in this area. And that's when I started coaching women and created our program, The Shift, which is a 12-week program to help women end the battle with food and their body. And um, we launched our podcast. And so It is really one of those standard, typical (laughs) stories of somebody who was struggling and, you know, I've really found my purpose in that. And I feel so lucky to do this work. I really do.
0: Well, it, it doesn't feel standard and typical to me because not only had you been through it and experienced it firsthand, but then you did so much more with that and you used your own experiences to talk to other women about their experiences. And we have that secondhand knowledge and then you even furthered that and got certified as a health and wellness coach. So you've done so much more than I think the typical person who goes through a challenge to learn mm-hmm. from that and expand on that and use it to help other people.
2: Well thank you for saying that. <laughs> it is it's, it's been a journey of, you know, I think so often we hear, especially these days, like you've got to find your purpose and connect to your purpose. And for me, it wasn't like I started this journey at 16 or whenever it was, being like, this is the end point this is the end goal this is where I'm going to end up but it really was just you know following the ideas that I had along the way or leaning into the things that felt good or the things that felt right and and that's sort of what led me down this track to where I am now
1: I saw you do a talk for I think it was called Public Salon in 2015 and you were saying how you started a petition to get magazines to kind of cut back on the Photoshop Mm. whatever ended up with that did it make end up making any difference or is it same old same old Right now,
2: you know what? The major magazines that I was petitioning against, not one of them even made a statement towards it. And right. I look back at that now and have a big smile on my face because I'm like, that was so ambitious to yeah. try <laughs> <laughs> and take those companies on, and and I really believed that something would come of it. And mm-hmm. you know what? The end result wasn't what I necessarily was hoping for, but at the same time, it definitely. Uh, got a lot of attention in the local news and even in Canadian news. And I think that regardless as to whether it had the impact that I initially set out for it to have, it would have raised awareness within individuals about what was going on in media, about the images that they were seeing. Hopefully it started some conversations between moms and their daughters or girlfriends Mm -hmm. or that type of thing. And so I, you know, I haven't really even thought about it since then, but I think it's important, you know, for anybody who's listening to remember that even when we don't necessarily hit that goal that we're aiming for, when we don't necessarily land exactly where we were hoping to land, that there's still an effect from our actions, that there's still people who are impacted. And, and that's it's very important to, to remember that in order to stay motivated in doing um, in doing this kind of work, especially.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the conversations and hopefully opening up conversations between people, moms and kids, things like that. I have, I'm currently... Uh, seven and a half months pregnant with our second daughter and (gasps) congratulations. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. Very, very excited. uh, Feeling very big and tired, but very excited. (laughs) Of course. Um, Oh my God. But one of my greatest fears, so I also teach high school and I'm with Mm. teenagers all day long and I I see Mm -hmm. what they're going through and what they're struggling with and not just girls, but boys as well, because there are so many unrealistic you know, depictions of what boys should look like. And it is hard to achieve that type of male body just as it's hard to achieve that type of ideal female body. So I really feel Mm -hmm. for them. But as a parent, it's one of my greatest fears to have two daughters growing up and not feeling confident in themselves. Like I see my daughter every day and I'm just so amazed by all that she can do. Mm -hmm. And it's such a fear of mine that she won't. See that too. So what advice would you give to moms, not just moms of daughters, but moms of sons to maybe help mm. instill that self-love?
2: Mm-hmm. This is such a great question. And I'm going to be completely honest. I have a four-year-old boy and a two-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. I worry about the same things as you do, because of course we never want our kids to kind of experience the pain that we have experienced. Yeah. So one thing that's helped me is In all the conversations that I've had, and this is not the answer that you're going to want, but in all the (laughs) conversations that I've had with women, some of whom are, you know, the people that we would deem the most successful women out there, the most interesting people, the most evolved people, the people who are most connected to their passion have experienced some sort of hardship or pain. Mm -hmm. And as much as we want our kids to be able to avoid those things, they're also the things that shape our kids, that help them find their strength and help them find their confidence. And so we can't have them avoid it completely. And I think at some point in most of our lives, there's going to be a period where we aren't sure who we are, where we're not feeling 100% confident in ourselves. And the journey to finding that confidence Mm -hmm. is, or to finding ourselves, to finding our purpose is what gives us confidence it's what helps us stand in our strength and when we start to fall into those patterns of pain whether that's being bullied or somebody talking about our body in a way that we would never want them to experience or comparison those are the opportunities for us as parents where it opens the door for us to have conversations with them Mm -hmm. to create a new narrative and so I think that one thing I've had to really come to terms with is my kids probably will experience all of those things Mm -hmm. and it's going to build them up and make them stronger. It's not going to break them down and I'll be there in whatever way that I can to help them navigate those conversations, as will you, because you're already thinking about this. So that says so much.
1: And obviously we have to be concerned about both boys and girls, but from what I've been researching, it seems like girls take the brunt of it a lot worse than boys because you you were uh, i was listening to you speak and you were saying 80 percent of girls by the time they're 10 their biggest fear is being fat
3: Mm -hmm.
1: and is is there any statistics for what that's like for boys or is that not even an issue
2: oh it's definitely an issue um in some ways you know boys are definitely shown certain body types that are ideal for for men, but where boys get caught up more is around who they're supposed to be Mm -hmm. as a man and in not showing emotions and not being allowed to cry and not you know, and always having to be strong and and held together. And what we see when boys are taught that that's the way that you are as a man and that's what you're supposed to do is it doesn't allow the release of emotion and it starts to show up as anger or violence or toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. And so while with women we are working hard to rewrite the narrative around our relationship with our body, with boys and men, it's really a story about rewriting the narrative around how they can show up as individuals and that they're human. And part of being human is being able to express all different types of emotion. And it doesn't make you less of a man if you do that. And so it's interesting even in our house navigating that because I watched the dialogue my husband has between my daughter and my son, and it's a little bit different. And even, even for me as well, like mm-hmm. we we have different expectations of boys and girls, but in seeing this and knowing what I know, it's also allowed for a lot of space for conversation mm-hmm. um, between my husband and I about how we want to raise James and what he is going to be, what we're going to allow him space to feel and to express. Um, my husband grew up with in a family of three boys with a dad who was like this tough Irishman. <laughs> and so it's not any of his fault or any male fault if the expectation is like to be a tough guy but the great thing is is that we can start to have these conversations now and we know more about how this ideal impacts boys so that Mm -hmm. we can say you know what it's actually super healthy for him to cry if he falls off his bike and he doesn't have to be a tough guy and and so it's been really amazing to watch my husband's dialogue change around this as well and it's not about being wrong or right or him you know not understanding of course he doesn't understand because that's not the way that he was raised but we get to have this conversation now we get to change the narrative together now and that's really cool
1: okay tell me if I'm part of the problem here because I find when I (laughs) when I get my daughter ready in the morning I I dress Mm -hmm. her up and the first thing I say is you look so pretty but Mm, I couldn't imagine saying that To my son, well, I guess Mm -hmm. I would say you look so handsome at my son, but I couldn't imagine that I would hammer it home as much. What's the line between giving your daughter a compliment and then making it seem like you're obsessed with beauty?
2: Yeah. So I had the same question and um, I've done a lot of work with a woman named Renee who's a counselor. She works a lot in body image and this conversation with youth and actually was part of like the founding group that started a program called Free to Be, which is a positive body image program for boys and girls in grades six to eight. It's an incredible program taught in schools. And what I love about it is that it's speaking both to boys and girls. As you mentioned, this is uh, not just something that impacts girls, but I asked the same question to Renee. I'm like, I, you know, when I see my daughter, I'm like, you're so cute and you are so pretty and it feels really natural to say those things. So am I just not supposed to say those things? And then also when we're living in this world where beauty and being pretty as a girl are so valued if she never hears that from me then doesn't she question that within herself yeah and so she was like you know ideally we wouldn't tell our kids that you're beautiful or that you're pretty you would say you know you'd get your you'd get your daughter dressed and you'd be like you're so brave for getting out the door to school or you're so enthusiastic or mm-hmm. i love this or i love that so what I'm hearing from the experts is that ideally, we really don't say those things very often. I struggle with this as a mom. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> I like that just I naturally say those things to my daughter. But I am so much more conscious of it not being every day of really nurturing those other things within her. My daughter's really shy. So we're doing a lot of work on celebrating her brave moments. And also, like, it's OK if she's shy, too. hmm. And celebrating her when she gets on her scooter or when she does something kind. So really looking at all those other qualities that both of our kids have, whether it's our son, our daughter, and celebrating all of those other qualities just as much, if not more as we celebrate the way that they look.
0: See, I like that so much. And I'm so glad Shane asked that question. We have a system. uh, When we want to ask you a question, we kind of squeeze each other's leg. And we both had a question at the same time. And it actually turned out to be the exact same question. I love that. Just about how you navigate that with your own kids. Because it's hard. Everything in parenting is so hard. Um, And I agree with trying to put the focus in, you know other skills and other points on their personality and things like that but what you said about telling them if they can't hear that they're beautiful or they're pretty or they're cute from you as their parent then mm. they might not hear it at all and like mm-hmm. I have uh
2: a like I love it but now. wait wasn't
1: she saying not to say that
2: no sometimes just okay. sometimes right I'm saying that if you were to talk to like a body positivity researcher mm-hmm. or a therapist, they would really encourage you to reduce the amount that you're saying that mm-hmm. as much as possible to focus away from it. Right. I find it hard to completely stop saying, mm-hmm. yeah. and that might just be indicative of where I'm at in my own journey so I'm not going to sit here and tell you not to say it. Cause I say, I tell my daughter she's beautiful. Mm. <laughs> and When she comes out in her princess dress, I'm like, you are so cute. I'm not like, Oh my gosh, you're so <laughs> smart. Snow White yeah, right. that yeah, just doesn't tricky. feel real or realistic. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. I don't think I know the exact answer and I don't think there is one exact answer to this. It's a complicated question. I think though, for anyone who's listening right now, the main thing is to just become aware of how mm. much you're saying it. And How, you know, if you have a daughter and a son, how are you speaking to them differently? What are the expectations that are different? And is there room for you to really nurture those other gifts that they have um, as well?
1: Yeah, because I guess if the only compliment they're hearing is they look pretty and then they're never hearing they're strong or brave or courageous, Mm -hmm. it's just going to seem like that's all they get is the pretty compliment.
2: Yeah, and they're already going to be told from the society that they live in that the way that they look is their most valuable yeah. asset. Yeah. They'll be told that over and over thousands of times before mm-hmm. the time that they are in grade seven. So as a dad and as a mom, if you can be really helping them find value in the skills that they have or those unique qualities that make them great, then rather than just putting all of their worth on beauty, which again, according to society, is a diminishing asset as we get older, And that we don't have a lot of control over, right? It's not Mm -hmm. something that you can, it's not a skill that you can build upon or that you can grow or that you can learn more for. It's not so much a gift that you can give other people in the world. It's just what you're born with. It's just something you don't have a lot of control over. And so if you can teach them how to really tap into those unique gifts that every single child has and to nurture those and to build upon those, then you're setting them up for success.
3: What
1: are your thoughts on people who want to change the things they're born with? Like you were mentioning Botox and plastic surgery and you had thoughts on that. Like if somebody's really feeling unconfident about themselves and then they get a nose job and then they feel great about themselves, is that... Mm -hmm. Worth it, or, or like, how do you reconcile topics like that? Mm,
2: I'm still figuring this out. But in regards to myself, but in regards to other people, I feel like you have one life to live, and you've got to make the choice that feels right for you. Mm -hmm. That it is. I feel like it's in some ways unfortunate that we live in a world where the way that we appear is so valued that people have to go under the knife and spend thousands of dollars to change the way that they look, but we do live in that society right now. And who am I to say whether people should or should not um, go that route? One of the main reasons that we talked about things like plastic surgery in the initial interview series that I did was because I was like, I think after I have kids, I'm going to get my boobs done. Like I love my boobs. And if they turn into socks with golf balls in them that (laughs) hang down to my knees, like I'm not down with that. But I felt so much guilt around possibly wanting that and thinking about it because part of me also knew that it was, you know, it was something that I wanted because of superficial reasons. So I felt bad for wanting it. And then I was like, there's literally kids around the world starving and I'm going to go spend X amount getting my boobs done. So there was just so much like shame and uncertainty. And, you know, it's, it is an individual's choice and right to do with their body, what they yeah. want to do. I'm more worried about and concerned about changing the overall dialogue that we have within our society. And within all of that, I'm still figuring things out for myself. Mm-hmm. I've had two kids. Yeah, My boobs are not what they used to be, but I'm also like, don't really care that much. I don't think they <laughs> care yeah. at this point enough to like have somebody cut into me and insert something into me that, freaks me out more than the current situation with my chest so I, that's where I'm at right now but I don't know I can't tell you where I'll be in 10 years so it's, it's yeah.
0: hard and I those things bounce around in me too and I think that a lot of this self-assurance that I feel now that I didn't feel in my teenage years and in my early 20s comes from motherhood and comes from kind of you know, a shift in priorities and a shift in Mm -hmm. ideals. And I'm so happy that it has because I also always told myself and told anybody who would listen, oh, I'm getting my boobs done after I breastfeed two kids (laughs) or however many kids I have. And now I'm trying to reconcile my you do you mentality and Mm -hmm. you be who you want to be with the side of me that says appreciate what you have and this extends so far beyond me and now I'm finding in quarantine like even with my friends like their eyelashes are falling off you know everybody's roots (laughs) are growing in and I have some friends who are really freaked out by this and Mm -hmm. secretly inside my head I'm like hopefully she'll use this as a time to see how much better she looks without them because I think they look silly but who am I to say oh, you look better without them if they make her feel good. Like, I want my friends to recognize their own beauty. Mm
3: -hmm. But I also want them to feel
0: good. So I have a hard time Mm -hmm. with that part.
1: Yeah, I wonder if it's the relationship you're in, too. Like, if you're married, if it seems like your partner covets beauty too much, too. Mm -hmm. If you might feel pressure to keep up with your own partner. Yeah. Because Alex is never really telling me to get in shape or get abs or get a nose job. (laughs) And and she's (laughs) talked to me several times about wanting to get implants or all these things Mm. and then I'm always saying that's like the least important thing it would actually be a turnoff to me Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so I guess my point is I wonder if Alex's friend with the eyelashes is only putting value in it because she feels like her partner is putting value in it
2: I coach a lot of women who have been in relationships in the past where they felt like there was a lot of value on their body or on a specific body type and our desire for love and belonging With Mm -hmm. somebody is so strong that if we feel that they value those things, it's very natural for us to want to become or be those things for them. And so, you know, if you were saying, yeah, get the implants like I like it when your body's tighter or if there was a lot of focus on that type of thing, of course, Mm. that can impact our partner's perception of themselves. So, you know, being in a relationship where there is really healthy dialogue around this, where there is healthy conversation about this, is is huge in regards to our self-esteem. And I think in regards to our friends, oftentimes what we want for others is what we really want for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So when you're seeing your friend and saying, I wish you could just accept yourself, or I wish you could just see your own beauty perhaps I would ask, you know, is there an area within yourself where you'd love to have more acceptance where you wish you could just not care? I find sometimes what I've noticed with myself with a friend, if I'm like, you know, why does she have to do that? That it's more about me feeling Mm -hmm. pressured that I then have to do that. And I don't want to feel pressured myself to do that. So the journey for me is more, can I feel okay with my decision not to do it? Mm-hmm. Can I feel okay with showing up without the fake eyelashes? And can I also give my per- myself permission to do it if I want to, Yeah, you know? And so it, often in any relationship, it's just a mirror reflecting back to us the things that we can continue to work on and the areas where we can continue to grow as an individual.
0: Yeah, I, I love that so much. And I, I do relate to that so much. I know for me, my big goal is each like going into each summer is being able to comfortably wear shorts without Mm. fear of cellulite and things Mm. and every single summer it's the exact same I don't wear them until like summer's almost over and then all of a sudden I have this rush of freedom and confidence that I wish I had for the you know three months prior yeah and yeah it's very much I even if the struggle is different or the things that you wish you know somebody else would appreciate about themselves is different I do think that you're right and that it's always kind of reflective of how we view ourselves
2: and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And you're not alone. Honestly, almost every woman does this, has these thoughts. And so what is amazing is if we can, rather than looking outward to change things, if we can turn inward and each of us as individuals continue to grow and continue to challenge our relationship with our body and ourselves and really create that space to step into self-love, which Mm -hmm. is easier said than done, then I think that's how we really change this dialogue. It's one person at a time and women really joining together to support one another in doing what We need where we're at for ourselves. I mean, this is complicated, complicated stuff that is so written in the narrative of our culture and our society and our conversations and our relationships and our relationship with self and our relationship with our mothers. And so it is truly a journey, as I always say on our podcast. And, you know, it's having these conversations like we're having right now that, change the dial even if just the smallest amount and I'm so appreciative of these
0: conversations I'm so appreciative of people like you who bring these conversations to light and I I just I'm truly thankful that you uh, were able to join us today If Hmm. listeners are looking to go and check out Raw Beauty Talks, check out your programs, where can they go, Erin, to find you?
2: Everything is at rawbeauty.co. You can listen to our podcast, Raw Beauty Talks, on any of the traditional podcast channels. And you can always follow us over on Instagram at rawbeautytalks. I have a challenge for you if you'll accept it. 100%. (laughs) The next warm day, can you get... You're pregnant, amazing, like strong body into a pair of shorts. And Shane, you can help hold her accountable to this. Okay. With my white winter legs too? Hell yes. Yes. Free your legs. Get out there. Enjoy the summer. Show your daughter that it doesn't matter if – You have winter legs, whatever those are, and that, you know, if there's a bit of cellulite and just go outside and enjoy yourself, don't wait until the end of summer. Notice when that, you know, fear starts to pop up. And Mm -hmm. let me tell you, the fastest way to break through that fear is to just do the damn thing. Just do the damn thing that you are afraid of that is holding you back. Just do it and then you can enjoy the rest of the summer well, in your shorts i'm going
0: to it. we're getting some good weather this weekend from what i, I hear
1: and i think i'm going to wash the car shirtless in our front driveway <laughs>
2: yes, shame. just
1: to show yeah. off what i
3: got
2: <laughs> it'll be a family affair oh uh, you two are awesome thank
0: you so much for having me on the show Aaron. thank you so much for coming on this podcast have a great night
1: okay. bye-bye
0: uh i've a big question about that so i I really appreciated that call uh is she's so calming Mm -hmm. isn't she but i want to ask
1: oh bawling that entire time you were
0: bawling like not just (laughs) not something's
1: wrong with me oh i can't i can't help it
0: (laughs) hold on there wasn't just a single he's crying again right now and it's not just a single tear it is red eyes red face many tears so what was it that she initially said that got you feeling so emotional
1: I'll cut all this time out. Um it's just weird having It's just weird. Sorry. It's just weird thinking we're gonna have two girls. And that and that I could be part of the problem, you know?
0: Do you think that you have been in the past in regards to how girls view themselves?
1: No. But uh like I'm I'm not like that at all. But with my own daughter I, I tell Lou how pretty she is all the time. Like it's the main thing I'm focusing on and she's obsessed with dresses and uh, I was just watching Erin talk and she was talking about how eighty percent of girls at ten their biggest fear is being overweight and that their fear is even bigger than their parents dying. And you know we're gonna have we're gonna have two girls, and that that's really freaked me out you know
0: no it's it's scary and um obviously, you don't have the experience of growing up as a girl, but I'm sure you could relate to it through your sister or through even just me talking about what I've experienced and I one hundred percent get that you know when you're young, 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 you don't want to be fat, and you think of Kids in elementary school, kids in like, and I mean young, like JK, kindergarten, grade one, boy or girl, if there's a kid that's overweight or has something different about them, other kids pick up on that very quickly. Yeah. Very quickly. And I've always struggled to how to kind of bring in those types of compliments into my relationship with Lucy because even before I had Lucy, I remember like I have some really good talks about these kind of things with my cousin, Jesse, and she has a niece. And we talked about, you know, the best way to approach complimenting this little girl in our family, Elsie and Jesse tries really hard to never say anything about looks yeah, and then it slips out sometimes. Of me more than just sometimes because, you know, I'm just so impressed with their just natural exuberance and beauty and everything. And I, I find myself saying it. I find myself saying it to Lucid
1: Yeah. And uh, I guess it's I tell her that she's pretty because I'm worried if she's not pretty. <sighs> like if she grows up and she's not pretty.
0: Please.
1: You still want her to feel that way, you know?
0: I know. I know. And that's that's where I struggle with not telling her because I want her to know. And I feel like there's a part of me that just wants her to know how beautiful she is all the time. And that's why I tell her. But then, again, if the experts are saying not to, I, I don't want to be a part of that. And I, I I need to shift that focus. So it's a weird thing to navigate. And it's a weird thing to balance as a parent, I think. And I think you're right to be affected by that and confused by that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's hard because, you know, you see some sort of messaging that says, oh, all women are beautiful and every body type's beautiful. So it's almost more celebrated if you tell someone who isn't typically, stereotypically beautiful or whatever we see in the media. If we tell a woman who's maybe 50 pounds overweight that she's beautiful, that is more acceptable than telling a woman who might be like a swimsuit model that yeah. she's beautiful. So I was just like, oh, what if Lou gets more of my jeans, my ugly jeans, than your beautiful jeans? You, you know, and then I have guilt about that.
0: And that's the thing. And that, I think, is how you will perceive her experience, even if, like, she, just say Lucy grew up to be untraditionally beautiful or not mm-hmm. stereotypically the ideal right which obviously is a possibility for any young child her experience in life can still be one of super deep fulfillment super deep happiness and super deep self well that's what i want to
1: i want to cultivate that and i don't want her to feel bad you know because it isn't important to me if she's If people consider her to be Mm. anything other than happy.
0: And alternately, like, if she, if, you know, we're always telling her how beautiful she is, how pretty, cute, whatever she is now, and then she does grow up to be a very traditionally, ideally beautiful woman, then she's going to attribute that to all her success and then maybe not,
3: Mm
0: -hmm. you know, even hone her other skills and the other facets of her personality so i i do th- it's tricky and i do think that it is you know the smart thing to start talking to her about other things and her abilities like things that yeah. she actually does hundred
1: percent and what, what also i guess scared me was i didn't like the idea of 10 being the age when she started worrying about that it's like i want her to be younger for longer like a kid for longer
0: well, and that's another problem just in society as a whole in North America. Kids get sexualized so early. Like so early. Yeah. Like look at the little outfits that they have for like little girls. And it's just, it's hard and it's sickening. And that would be an interesting expert to talk to as well. But it's tricky.
1: There's so many things that's like don't slut shame. Let them be whatever. It shouldn't matter if they're wearing whatever. hmm Anyway, that was just a lot for me, and that watching Aaron's thing really affected me before we even got into this.
0: What did you watch? Because I didn't watch that, and she I did think like listeners...
1: um, I guess it was like kind of like a TED Talk equivalent she did in 2015. It was called Parlor. Let me just look it up. Public Salon. Okay. She did a. It's on YouTube. It's called Public Salon, and it's not like she was. Uh, she actually did get emotional in some other stuff I saw, but it. It's not like she was delivering it with the intent to be very emotional is more to just be a crazy stat that's impactful but for me especially like yesterday was celebrating our birthdays together like lucy and i have the same birthday and just you had your ultrasound today so i've been thinking a lot about having two girls
0: well if it makes any difference i think that your sensitivity towards it right now and your recognition of how this could impact their lives And you're just wanting to, you know, be a good influence on them and be somebody who's going to be there to help kind of fuel all the other kinds of help that they need. I think that makes you an even better dad than you realize. I think that makes you an even better partner than you realize. And I think that it's in situations like this that we can also grow within ourselves too.
1: And when I said, by the way, that, oh, I never had a problem like that, like, treating women bad or anything it was i did all the typical stuff that everyone did growing up making fun of people for being overweight and all the childish stuff and making fun of women with my friends that maybe weren't attractive i'm just saying that was i haven't that's not something that although i am slightly guilt-ridden about doing that it's not something that hangs over me because I'm certainly not like that anymore. And I consider that just the byproduct of being an adolescent, you know, and thinking that was the cool thing to do.
0: Yeah, And I think the goal here, again, is changing that conversation in adolescence and in young people. And
1: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. That's why yeah. I'm bawling here.
0: Okay. <laughs> no, Shane, you're a great dad. And I think that this moment is going to be helpful for not just you, but both of us in, in how we raise the girls. Word up. Okay, Shane, so we are about to start with our next guest, who we have been very excited about, just like everybody lately. We have Taylor Nolan from Bachelor. Another
1: Bachelor person. Another
0: Bachelor person. We're on a bit of a roll, and you know what? I'm not complaining.
1: Should we turn this into a Bachelor podcast?
0: (laughs) No, but that could be a fun little side gig when the next season starts.
1: Yeah, like just all reality shows. I wouldn't want to limit it to The Bachelor, like all reality shows, because I do love Vanderpump Rules, and I do like you know the odd show like love is blind and
3: mm-hmm.
0: what's the
1: other one we liked recently the circle the circle we got <laughs> we got sucked into the circle somehow and there was the other the one circle the, was the, great. the hot, hot people too hot to handle too hot to handle
0: but the circle is better than that
1: mm-hmm. but taylor is so much more than just your typical reality show contestant cuz she's also a psychotherapist
0: she's a psychotherapist she's into plant-based living she has her own podcast which is great let's talk about it podcast And she just happens to be a very cool type of social media personality. So we're
1: going to go to that call. Okay, I'm excited.
0: Hi. Hey, Taylor. This is Alex and Shane from This Family Tree podcast. Welcome and thanks for coming on. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm
4: super excited to chat with you both.
1: And is it true that you've been to Hamilton? We've heard a rumor that you have. (laughs)
4: Yes, I have been to Hamilton. Um I dated a guy last year and he actually lived in or grew up in Guelph. So I spent a lot of time in Guelph. I went to like the Guelph Storm hockey game. Uh, we went to some like family events over in Hamilton and uh, got to see the escarpment thing and that was beautiful. <laughs> and um, it's yeah, the whole the whole little neighborhood I thought was really, really sweet.
1: Amazing. Okay, well, I'm just going to hop into my first question, so get ready. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a lot of people, they go on to The Bachelor, and then when it's over with, they get a whole new set of opportunities and new career path. You, on the other hand, obviously had a great career in psychotherapy, but when I watched after The Final Rose, you were saying that the show actually hurt your career, in particular, Corinne and her negative comments towards you. Now, I know you've returned to psychotherapy, but I also know you took a break from that career path for a while. Was that because of the comments Corinne made, Or was that just because Bachelor Nation presented new opportunities and you decided to pursue those?
4: The show aired around her commenting about my profession and professionalism while I was not there as a therapist. I was there as Taylor. So unfortunately, I did experience a lot of shame around my professional identity of a therapist. So I had to work through a lot of that on my own. Uh, But also, yes, like you said, there's a lot of opportunities that come up and I really, you know, wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to look back on that time in my life and say, oh, you know, I really, I wasn't in it. Like, I didn't let myself be in it. I didn't take advantage of these opportunities. So, you know, even, even say, even say that I was like, you know, I still want to do this, even though I'm dealing with all this other stuff. I would not have been able to have been fully present in my practice with my clients to begin with. I would not have been able to provide the consistency and reliability that they needed. I was rarely home. I was rarely here in Seattle. So I was not going to be able to show up to be the best therapist Mm -hmm. that I could have been during that time. So it was the best decision to say, you know, let me live this experience for a little bit longer, work through some of this shame now that I have around being a therapist that I never had Mm -hmm. and wait until, you know, I had a little bit more stability to be able to uh, do that really meaningful work with clients.
1: Do you think part of the problem was being on The Bachelor? You, you, They find out you're a psychotherapist and the idea is, oh, you have to be a perfect person then because you're the one doling out the advice. You must be perfect then. And then when they see you're not, it's like, oh, you must not be very competent at your job.
4: Oh, absolutely. There's an incredibly unrealistic high standard as to what people in the helping profession and specifically therapists should look like and how they should behave and who they should be. And a large part of my work now that I have found in the public eye has been to really um, kind of say, fuck that. Sorry, I don't know if I can turn it on the show. Fuck yeah. Yeah, to say fuck that. Um, <laughs> therapists are, are just people like everyone else who have, you know, an education and experience and professionalism in this space, but that doesn't mean that we're also not human. So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, the fact that I... Very young. I graduated with my master's at 22 years old. So, immediately there, there can be an experience of me being intimidating or of uh, just this, like, who does she think she is yeah. kind of thing. Just in general, when people, you know, even outside of the show, when I say I'm at a social event and it's, I'm a therapist, there's this immediate assumption that. I know all. I'm going to solve everyone's problem, (laughs) Um, and in that, there's this real like power differential, right? That if someone is already feeling really insecure with themselves and is fearful of things being pointed out, um, that certainly that could then lead to just my being being condescending and better than. While I don't believe that's how I carry myself, (laughs) Um, but I think therapists in general have to fight against that and say, you know, I'm not a. I'm not a compassion robot I'm not perfect I'm not like going to be able to handle every situation of conflict from the lens of being a therapist because we're subjective in our everyday lives I don't meet people at social events and think, hmm, what can I diagnose this person with? Like, (laughs) I'm not, not at all. Am I like looking at this person as if they're my client? That's a very, very different Mm -hmm. um, dynamic and setting. So, you know, I don't go around like that. And most therapists don't do that either. (laughs)
1: But, But inversely, when you were saying that Corinne was emotionally unintelligent, it's, it's almost like, and she's questioning whether you're accurate. It's like, you are the expert. Expert in a sense. <laughs> so sometimes yes. people will be like, "What are you an expert?" And you could be like, "Well, actually, yes, this is my field."
4: Yes, and and honestly, sometimes like you don't have to be an expert to understand these <laughs> yeah, things. A hundred percent. And you know, it wasn't again me commenting on emotional intelligence was not. Oh, let me look at her as if she's my client. I'm her therapist. You know, these were the lead, Nick, asking questions of what my thoughts are on things. And I'm sorry, I'm very opinionated. Mm -hmm. I always like, my mom likes to say I came out of the womb talking and (laughs) probably accurate. So I do have a lot of opinions and I do notice things about people because I'm just naturally an observer in that way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it wasn't like this is my clinical observation, but this is just like, yeah, I noticed that. And that kind of worries me if we're here to have a romantic. Long term, healthy, fulfilling relationship. I don't know that that's what he's looking for. And in fact, he said he was looking for someone that had emotional intelligence. And I'm not really seeing a ton of that here.
0: Yeah. Well, so much of it is a facade. And just, you know, relating to you in trying to occupy those two spaces. So, one very professional space where you're kind of a role model for people, and then another where you are you know, occupying this space in the public sphere where it's entertainment, it's love, it's, you Mm -hmm. know, very fun in a sense. Like, I'm a high school teacher, yet Shane and I do this podcast. I run a motherhood Mm -hmm. account. I get vulnerable there and I get worried as hell that somebody is going Mm -hmm. to judge me for my professionalism because Mm -hmm. of these extra things that I'm doing. But ultimately... I think it is so good to be able to show that professionals do have another side to them. And I, I really commend mm-hmm. you for doing that because that's something that is so lacking
4: on shows like The mm-hmm. Bachelor. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I totally hear you on, on that. struggle, And I'm glad that you are pushing yourself to be able to be in these different positions to, to have these different roles in your life. And I think on reality TV, it's so much easier (laughs) to show people as one-dimensional characters right it's much easier for people to make sense of who that person is it's much easier to develop a storyline and for people to follow that Mm storyline than it is for us to really show the full picture and just the complexity of who we are as individuals and because of that like that not only is in reality TV, but that's just throughout our our culture. Yeah. And yeah. we often see things in black and white. And we try to just put this person into one box and that was a huge struggle of mine coming off the show was like, all right, what do I want my box to look like? And not the box down there, but (laughs) the overall box, box, uh, you know, there's going to be things that I, I take in perhaps from other people as to what they think this box should look like. There's going to be things that I'm going to say, you know, actually I like this part of myself. I want this part to Mm -hmm. be present in my full package of who Taylor is. And, you know, sometimes those things are going to contradict each other. I was getting my my master's degree at Johns Hopkins in counseling, and I was working as a promo girl at a strip club in Baltimore. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, we're, we're allowed to contradict ourselves. We're allowed to express and explore these different parts of ourselves that are complex, and we don't have to just make it easier for other people to understand us, because that's right. really not our job. Our job is to figure out how we understand ourselves and how we best feel in our own shoes. Mm -hmm. Um, I think so often we disservice ourselves to appease other people from feeling uncomfortable, which is not our job.
1: What was more challenging for you, going for the Masters or working as the promo girl?
4: (laughs) Uh, Honestly, (laughs) the promo girl. (laughs) It's grueling. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the, um, the Masters was like so it was honestly very fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, doing a counseling program, a lot of that work, it felt like really getting to know myself. And certainly it was hard work. I was myself in a lot of areas. But you know, working as a promo girl, at a, like at a strip club, that came with its own challenges where I had to confront my values, I had to confront how I was making money, like I was Fully single for the first time, really, in my young adult life. I was living by myself. My family had moved from Baltimore back to Seattle. So I was incredibly alone and, you know, struggling to pay rent for my single family home that my boyfriend had moved out of. who was like financially caring us. And it was a very uh interesting experience just learning about other people as well like learning how people interact in different settings <laughs> See, and, and
0: being a psychotherapist though i mean i would rather my psychotherapist have all these experiences in dealing with mm-hmm. all kinds of people like at strip clubs in the reality tv circuit what comes along with that than just being kind of holed up in their house with their books not having no, but no 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 but not having the experience because I think people don't equate life experience with educational value and I think that's so huge mm-hmm. and that's a, a huge connection to make when you are dealing with people I think that's I was so just necessary. laughing at your inflection
1: mm-hmm. of your voice that <laughs> hold up with your books
4: <laughs> yes well and and
2: it's interesting
4: because you know i I totally see that part and I agree with you there and I think on the other hand, there are those, those people will kind of <laughs> shame you for having those experiences in the first place, mm-hmm. right? And think that your experiences should have just been school. And when they are just school and not that life experience, you'll also get that they'll shame you for that. I mean, right. just point on the show before the show even aired, just the fact that I was 22 years old and a therapist, I was immediately discredited for even having value as a therapist because I was only 22. And how could I possibly help someone without having that life experience? Yet then, I get that life experience or um, Mm -hmm. I share with people that I have these other life experiences, but because that doesn't mesh with what they think a therapist should be, I then am still a shitty, you know, uncredible therapist because I've done X, Y, Z with my life. Right, because
1: people think therapists should be life coaches, right? And they need life experience to have uh that.
4: Yes, and in that, you know, when they say that, like, they want their therapist to have, like, life experiences, they're typically coming from the mindset of, like, You know, they've had kids, they're like, they've traveled abroad, like they've gone out and like they've done things, right? But Mm -hmm. to find out, you know, okay, they did reality TV or, you know, potentially they were a sex worker or, you know, they were in a domestically uh, violent relationship, all these other things that are sometimes like very challenging, messy, very real parts of life that, again, help make us be the incredible, complex individuals that we all are, um, can be rejected and feel like... That's not what I wanted you to be. And that's what, at the end of the day, one of my biggest lessons from the show is just like, you're not going to please everyone. And it's not your job to. So just be yourself so that you can at least be happy with who you are and know that the people who vibe with you are going to vibe with you. And that's great. And, you know, you can try to work on relationships where you can vibe with someone that maybe you didn't vibe with. But like, when it becomes too much work and you're then no longer being your authentic self, it's not
1: worth it. Right. So like you were saying, you've had so many experiences. You're very open to talking about things that maybe other people are closed off with. For mm-hmm. me, I'm the type of person I've always said it's better to rush into a relationship. Like I, I moved in with my one of my first girlfriends within two months of knowing her because my ideology was, oh, if I don't like her, then I'll get that over with and not waste two years of my life. So a show like The mm-hmm. Bachelor really spoke to me because I'm like, I like the pace these people are moving at. Mm-hmm. But now you've been through an engagement with, uh, what's his name? Derek. I Derek. Uh, and mm-hmm. you, you've seen probably a lot of your friends that you made on the show. Maybe their relationships didn't work out or their engagements. Has that stopped mm-hmm. or, or changed the way you view re- relationships or rush into them? Have you been, quote unquote, burned too many times or seen people burned that it's affected you in any way?
4: Hmm. Yeah. So I got to say, when it comes to Bachelor Bachelorette, particular like specifically for myself, that model doesn't work for me. Right. Um. I I hear you on like you know you just want to kind of know. Um. Vanessa, who was on my season, who's a dear friend of mine, was perfect for a show like that because she is very similar to your uh, approach, right? Of just I want to know something. I just want to you know let's figure it out. Let's see what it's like. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to get two years down the road and realize X, Y, Z. And to me, my approach to that is that what you're trying to do in that process, protect yourself from really mm-hmm. being vulnerable mm-hmm. because that's a scary thing, right? To put that time in, to slowly learn about someone, to go through life experiences with each other and know that things might not work out, that's really fucking scary mm-hmm. and really makes me vulnerable. So as a, as a almost vulnerability armor, we can sometimes rush into these things because we'd rather get hurt now, right? We think that that will hurt less, right? Mm-hmm. right. If we just figure it out now as opposed to putting in this time. But for me, my approach, I mean, how my relationship developed on the show was not my preference and definitely was, I didn't advocate for myself as strongly as I, looking back and in the moment, would have liked to, because sometimes things life is scary yeah. um, and don't always speak up for ourselves. I have a lot of self-compassion for myself for where I was at in that stage in my life, but I definitely don't move fast like that. Like after two months of dating someone, I'm not the person that's let's move in, let's get engaged after three, four months even. You know, I've always said from day one, since I had my first relationship at 16 years old, whenever I get engaged, I want to have lived with that person for at least a year. And I want us to propose to each other. I don't like the patriarchal uh, no, concepts that are yeah. very much within our, you know, societal experience of proposals. Um, I don't ever want my proposal to be a surprise. Um, yeah. You know, I really want that kind of a decision to be something that we're creating together as a partnership.
1: That's so funny you say that. That's exactly how Alex and I did that. Drunk over
4: a bottle of wine. We
1: felt the same way. (laughs) Like, I I hate the power that the man has to uh, wait till the right time or like,
3: Yeah. yeah, like
1: I just it's so unromantic to me. There, I like. I mm-hmm. like when both people want it just as bad. They have a conversation about it, and, and then they say, "We're gonna it. do it," you know. And then it's equal yeah. for both. Like, I like that true equality.
4: Yeah, because it also like it takes. Unfortunately, the dynamic we have today from the you know heterosexual cisgender female in this scenario, <laughs> um, where she's not really that empowered in her relationship, right? Because she's waiting for him to choose her. When it's like, yeah. well, if you really are being intentional and conscious of how you're creating your relationship together like you both are equal parts in that and yeah there's i definitely am like i want to i move somewhat quickly in long distance relationships which is mostly what i've been in the last five years because i want to get to be in the same location (laughs) but in the same location i'm like we're gonna go slow with this you know like you're gonna have your own place i'm gonna have my own place like you know, after a year, like, let's just continue to touch base. To me, I think building that relationship and negotiating what's working and what's not and mm. how we're both showing up, I think is such a beautiful process. And I love doing that work in a relationship when both parties are committed to doing that work. Yes. So I'm definitely okay with being patience for
0: (laughs) proposal and you talk about having like you know self-advocating having self-compassion now and clearly like this is why you are one of my favorite not just reality tv people but social media presences online Uh because you just don't give a fuck like you will (laughs) you will post (laughs) a really glam beautiful looking photo of you next to a photo of just you hanging in your house no makeup you'll post a photo of you standing there looking hot with hairy armpits and be like, should this be celebrated? Mm-hmm. No, nor should it be shamed. Yeah. And I just wanted to know if yeah. you were always on that vibe or mentality or if that kind of came after and all this growth came after, you know, being on the most glamorized and superficial show.
4: That was, first of all, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was so beautiful. Beautiful. I really appreciate you saying all of that. No problem. Um, yeah, it's you know, pre show, I definitely like the presence that I have on social media now is very much reflective of who I was pre-show. Mm. I've always been someone that like will speak my mind. Like I said, very opinionated, very very <laughs> much enjoy making other people feel uncomfortable sometimes. <laughs> um, and I've always I've always had that that side of myself throughout the experience of the show. Both times around were really the most significant I guess time in my life for my mental health uh the first time I've really been like had to confront trauma Mm -hmm. um and that took me a long time to even come to terms with so there was definitely a solid period of time where I felt so small I felt really like just nothing I say is going to be right and it's too much to deal with it and I'd rather just you know Leave a sentence, quirky, cute caption with a happy <laughs> couple photo. You know, like there were times that that part of me would still try to come out, but, but. it just uh, I I didn't have the strength at the time, and I felt so small. I was so incredibly beat down. And now I think, as I've kind of came out of things from the show and done a lot of my own personal work from that trauma,
3: mm-hmm.
4: I feel very much back to who I was. In a different way, pre-show. Um, going back to ther- doing psychotherapy a year ago, you know, was a huge step for me of just getting back into what grounded me, getting back into something that I'm super passionate about in life. So I've definitely always had this kind of like bucket. I am who I am, and you know. It's, yeah. a, it's always a learning process, kind of a vibe, but definitely something newer that I'm sharing on social media a few years post show. And I got to say, some days is really hard mm-hmm. um, and like it certainly doesn't come easy, but it feels so much better to do than what I was doing before. And it feels so much better when someone is like, oh God, like you must be... So, you know, you are probably a shitty therapist. I would never want to come see you as a therapist. If you're going to post a photo with your ass like this, you just must must want so much attention in your bathing suit like this. I, I can like laugh at that now Mm -hmm. because I'm like, I don't give a shit. Like, yeah, I'm on a paddle board and in, in, in the water in a bathing suit. And if my ass is offending <laughs> you, that's your problem, not mine. Whereas before, like, that would really be like, oh shit. Like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be posting this because it's just, you know, just, I guess not what people want to see as a therapist. And I just don't have to deal with that. And yeah, now I'm like, hmm, this is not my problem. And can I? Hi. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, I think connection dropped.
1: Okay, you're back. Okay, sorry. You you were in the middle of talking about showing a picture of your derriere and some people maybe being upset. And I'm not sure if you heard me, but I was saying you can love your ass and still be a good therapist, right?
3: It's just... A hundred
4: (laughs) percent. Right. Yes. Yes. I think you can be very embodied and have a good relationship with your sexuality and express through sexuality and sensuality and also just be embodied publicly and also be a great therapist. And sometimes I look at these comments, you know, today I use it as an opportunity for a discussion.
3: Right. Um, Yes.
4: Sometimes, sometimes I think people think I'm taking personally, but I'm like, no, like, I don't care. I, I could laugh at this or, you know, just be like, whatever, just off the shoulder. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, No, like I I have something to say about that, actually. And you're not like shaking the core of who I am or anything, but the messages that you're saying right now, A, you're probably leaving to other people as well. And B, the people that read this and don't see a response to it might actually absorb that shame indirectly. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: And to me, when I speak up against these things, it's like, I'm not just speaking up for myself, but I'm also speaking up for other people who probably have got the same feedback or who read it and then the same thing applies to themselves so it's like it's definitely today i look at this as you know me being like fuck it yeah this is me and all the pieces and you can accept it or not that's not my problem you know it's an opportunity to have a lot of really uncomfortable but super important conversations
1: yeah exactly and that's one of the advantages too like some people talk about having fuck you money but there is kind of a fuck you followership too if you have enough instagram followers you are you can be a little bit more emboldened because mm-hmm. you know you you're always going to have that following, and you as a psychotherapist, people are going to want to talk to you a little bit more, regardless of what you do, because of your healthy social media following.
4: Yeah, yeah, and I think you know people when we do have this bucket, this is human. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Hi, I don't know what's So wrong. sorry. That's what we were just saying. We it have wasn't no me,
1: I swear. Okay, well, I'm separating <laughs> the H6 from the phone. If that's it. Just in it. case. Sorry, continue.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I was just saying, I think when we have this fuck it, this is me mentality, we're actually allowing ourselves to show up and connect with people in a more authentic way. And that actually, like that vulnerability, that risk that we take to be authentic usually does actually lead to connection and when people feel connected to you it increases that level of relatability to where you know Mm -hmm. not only are you now connected but you're like authentically connected where you don't have to put on this mask or you don't have to like you know, try to play a certain role because you're just being you and you've found connections through just being you. So then you're just encouraged to just continue to be you. And I think through showing that on social media, it does actually make people in the helping field more relatable and takes down some of those barriers, especially that can be scary going into something like counseling, because, you know, we have a lot of these stereotypes around and, you know, just laying on the couch and this, on cold blank slate therapist and that isn't always comfortable for people to mm. consider or to experience so, so I mean I think it does help with relatability
0: Um, so like that strength and you know kind of authenticity that comes from all this comes from this growth what you've done from what I know, again, like, I don't know much what's going on in your life. I only know via Instagram. Mm-hmm. But as far as I know, you're single. And we cannot deny the mm-hmm. situation we're all in right now. Uh, we are all oh, yeah. being quarantined. And one thing I wanted to ask was because, so I, like, have a maternity account. This is, you know, kind of like a parenting podcast. But
3: mm-hmm.
0: we have a lot of followers and I have a lot of friends who are living the single quarantine life right now and I just wanted to know Mm -hmm. what unique set of challenges that presents because there are a lot of single moms that listen
4: yeah so I gotta say pre-quarantine I was probably talking to like close to 10 different people and (laughs) unfortunately like unfortunately (laughs) like honestly maybe one of those people actually lived in Washington state
1: (laughs) so you're like the bachelorette in this scenario Um,
4: feel feels like it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's definitely put a halt to a lot of that. Staying connected virtually sometimes will only make you feel more disconnected. Yeah. So, you know, I definitely have basically only talked to one person now, and that's occasionally. Like, maybe every other week we'll touch base. Um, mm-hmm. And it is really difficult. It is very lonely. Physical touch that's missing is super hard. You know, this definitely is not sustainable for humans to maintain emotional health. Yeah. So, you know, it's definitely caused me to turn inward a lot more and focus on how I can connect within myself. You know, like I'll do morning breathing exercises where I just like hug myself. Mm -hmm. Um, A huge huge increase in masturbation because that's all i got of course
1: (laughs) (laughs) it is masturbation month so i hear
4: it is (laughs) the best (laughs) one um and yeah you know dating i mean there's certainly at the beginning there was a lot more like facetime calls and you know to be sexy facetimes and whatnot but knowing for me that there's isn't necessarily an end in sight here as Mm -hmm. to when I'm I'm going to feel safe or will even be allowed to be intimate or even see someone else in person on a date like that it it's I've definitely lost motivation to even like want to pursue forming a new connection when who knows what's gonna even happen so it's definitely been focusing more on what I can control and focusing on work like this has not been a time of just oh i have so much time now to organize everything and visit. like yeah. no it's just been, it's just been busy um i mean there's potential i'll see someone at the end of this month my toronto guy and i'm like why the fuck was i not quarantined in toronto like that was a <laughs> mistake um <laughs> like that definitely should have happened but i think for people you know that are single moms or are just single people living in quarantine right now like it's and it feels today to be like oh this is an opportunity to like get closer with myself but Mm -hmm. it really is like and you know so often sometimes our dating is a distraction from dealing with our own shit and we end up projecting a ton of our own shit on other people and this time that you are spending solo really is an opportunity to turn inward and you know figure out how you find pleasure in life figure out what actually makes you happy, how you spend your day-to-day, you know, trying to find at least one area a day to actually, like, give love to yourself. One of the things that the Gottmans, they're researchers, and they're actually based here in Washington, um, and throughout their, like, 40 years of research, they found that one of the things that successful people do in in marriages and relationships is they do a six-second kiss. So they recommend having a six second kiss a day with your partner. And I've been thinking about that a lot as a solo person in quarantine, mm-hmm. but I'm like, not only do I not have a partner, but like it's not even like I can even go out on a date and get that. Yeah. So I'm like, how do I like kiss myself? Um, so <laughs> It's been, it's really been like making sure that I like hold myself for at yeah. least a minute in the day. And yeah, it's, hard. Like it's not, some days obviously it doesn't happen, but I think trying to reframe it that way and look at it, you know. Do you find that that helps like, like the physical act of holding yourself for a minute a
0: day? Oh yeah.
4: Oh yeah. Whenever I've had my days where like I start crying and I'm just like sobbing my eyes out, I will just like hold myself, like wrap my arms around myself and like kind of sway back and forth. And yeah. it is so helpful. I mean, even just if you, yeah, even if you just put your hand on your heart um, and just kind of, like, touch your body. I mean, when you really think about it, Most the only time, really, that we touch ourselves is when we're washing ourselves in the shower. And what kind <laughs> of, like, intimate, personal touch is that, right? You put yeah. your clothes on. Maybe maybe you rub lotion on. But maybe that's, just, like, a quick thing that you're doing. So rarely do we actually touch ourselves in, yeah. like, a kind intimate pleasurable way Does not be sexual mm-hmm. but in a way that actually brings pleasure and connection for yourself and yes it can be more fun sometimes to rely on and have that interdependence with someone else to provide that for you but it's really empowering to be able to do that for yourself right. and, absolutely you yeah
1: know. well that's a good segue actually uh, I had a question about masturbation within a marriage now Alex, my wife has mm-hmm. made a no masturbation rule. And what?
0: Well, I can I I just didn't know if you were going to get into it, but I was going to justify it in case you weren't.
1: Okay, but I'll were I'll justify it. it. <laughs> but the the idea is she wants us to be so pent up and and just like horny for lack of a better term that we just just instead of releasing steam in the other room, we take it out on each other. Now, in your experience, do you think that's a good idea cuz my only concern is Sometimes like it can affect my performance, I guess.
0: We're at home together, living together, twenty-four hours a day, working together. It should be like the easiest time to do that. I know. Because mm-hmm. here and here's the thing, Taylor, like I put this in a place because I found that we weren't going to each other for our needs and we weren't communicating our needs well. And then I was mm-hmm. like, okay, hey, let's try this. Let's not do this by ourselves we have each other, so let's use each other to, you know, the extent that we can.
1: What do you think of that plan, Taylor?
4: So, from what I hear, it sounds like it works for her, but it doesn't work for you.
1: I feel like I plan it all wrong. I get it all screwed up, and then (laughs) then it's overkill, and then there's too much pentness, Mm -hmm. and then it's like... You know, I'm just feeling satisfied, and then I'll like turn over and go to sleep. And then she and I know I don't care.
0: Like I don't care. All right, I just
4: want Mm -hmm. something, but
1: I feel like a loser. (laughs) And then like it's like so
4: yeah. So one of the things I would say the the reasoning behind this, right? Okay, if if neither one of us is masturbating, then we're going to be pent up and want each other even more. One of the things that actually helps increase extra is masturbating. Mm -hmm. So. I find it rare that someone will recommend not having sex in order to increase the amount of sex that you're having. I think experimenting with the different kinds of sex that you have can be helpful in this.
3: Um,
4: I think my own personal professional perception on masturbating while in partnered relationships um, is that your relationship with your body Mm -hmm. is yours. Mm-hmm. so i I definitely feel a little concerned when a partner puts uh boundaries on the other partners' masturbation mm-hmm. and how they experience their relationship within their body because however they treat their body is up to them yeah um I think that supporting that sexuality right because when when you are then feeling that urge and you want to experience that pleasure, but then are kind of held back from doing so, that then is preventing you from actually expressing that sexuality. Right. And sometimes it can then put in this framework that, like, me touching myself is bad.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I do feel, if I do do that, like, I have a lot of shame and guilt surrounding it.
4: Yeah. And that's not something that, that you want in your sex life, partnered or solo, yeah. right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I felt this shame Um, even when I was not even married. (laughs) I I feel like female masturbation is celebrated and male masturbation is something to be ashamed of.
0: I don't know. I I could be wrong. This is just how I I feel. Yeah, I don't think so. I think you see it being celebrated only because more recently people are trying to fight for it to be celebrated
1: yeah but I guess because mm-hmm. it was considered more taboo or, or less known, everyone mm-hmm. knows guys jerk off, whereas like women are considered like oh are they do they even want sex? but that being said, yeah. I still feel like I'm ashamed when I masturbate, and women are just like having their dildos on their nightstand in their <laughs> husband's view
4: I might, I yeah have not had so, <laughs> yeah, so I think definitely masturbation overall for all genders does have a certain level of shame within it because masturbation is not something that we talk about widely. It's not something that we get in sex education. Um, you know, I actually learned this today in a podcast episode I was recording that one of the first Areas of shame that we experience is sexual shame mm-hmm. that I've never actually put together. But at around 10 months old, is when, you know, our hands kind of start moving around places. And, yeah. you know, as little toddlers, we become aware of our genitals. And what are the messages we receive? Our parents moving our hand away. Yeah. So immediately, when you get that message over and over and over and over, that's building in, okay. This is bad if I do this. I should not be putting my hands here and touching myself, even though this feels good. So it creates this like confusing message. And I totally hear what you're saying around feeling ashamed as a, as a male masturbating because while on one hand we have this messaging that guys love sex and they're going to have sex and like that's acceptable, we also have this, this perception that men are pigs. And they just can't control themselves. And they're so disgusting because all they want to do is fucking masturbate. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's definitely those two sides of that. And with women today, I think we do see more women talking about it publicly. We do see more encouragement around it. But there is still a lot of that shame involved. So I think in a very sex-positive relationship, if you can encourage that within each other, to reduce some of that shame, right? To talk about where that shame has came from. That can be a conversation that the two of you can have of, well, what has your relationship with masturbation looked like throughout your life? What does that look like today? What do you want that to look like? And I think also having a conversation of, you know, just how you feel about your partner masturbating. If that feels like you're not good enough, If that feels like you're not able to please them, if it feels like a threat, if it feels sexy, and you're like, "Well, I want to be in, I want to, I want to see, I want to be involved," Um, but those are all conversations to have and make sure that whatever dynamic that you want to set up for yourselves works for both of you and respects the relationship that each of you have with your body and want to have with your body. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it makes sense to me. But sorry for. Okay, <laughs> Alex seems upset by, uh, by No, it, no,
0: no, no. I'm just annoyed. <laughs> why are you annoyed? No, I'm not with Taylor. You're annoyed at me? Yeah. Okay, but why? Because I wish you told me that.
1: I've always told you I've been ashamed of that.
0: No, not ashamed of it, but like that it wasn't working for you.
1: Well, because I, I, I always want to please you. But we, we, we can talk about this off air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, this, yes. th- there's so much to talk to you about. It's ridiculous. I, I feel like I could talk to you forever, but we we should let you go. I just wanted to ask yeah. one question about The Bachelor. Now, everyone's always mm-hmm. talking about people being there for the right reasons. And I've always wanted to know, do you have inside info where a woman's actually been like, I'm actually not into The Bachelor. Like, is that something that's happened? You do not have to name names. I'm just wondering, do you know of that?
4: Oh, I mean, yeah, of course. Like, there are definitely people, you know, week three that are like, I would never date him, but stay (laughs) along (laughs) until they get sent home. Like, 100%. um, You know, if there were rumors, I'm not going to, like, say anything about Mm -hmm. them, but, you know, for certain seasons of Paradise where people have gone on literally already in relationships oh, but wow. are just on to like have fun. So I mean, yeah, 100% people do go there with that. Um and I do just want to touch on this because I want to make sure that um you guys I mean, I feel like maybe we'll talk after after recording a little <laughs> bit, but um, you know, I hear you saying that you didn't speak up about that because this dynamic was something that she suggested and that um, she was excited about and would work for her right or was something that she would think would work for her but in doing that then you know you also weren't able to communicate what what would work for you or didn't speak up to say that right and that doesn't say anything bad to you Alex that like <laughs> you know you're this terrible person or that you should have just known that that, that that was how he felt, right? Yeah. Um, that's not at all an, an assumption, you know, to that you would be able to know. And the only reason you would know that is to have a conversation about it, right? And so that's why I think when whenever we do set these rules, right, or experiment with different exercises or play around sex, that we really dig a little deeper with getting to know our partner and emphasizing mm what brings you pleasure yeah what feels pleasurable about this what would turn you on this is what would turn me on and coming about it from a you know open-minded lens staying curious about your partner you know trying to relieve any of that kind of pressure on it because it sounds like your goal in this is that you want to have more sex with him That you want each other to (laughs) ravage, you want to (laughs) ravage, yeah, that you want to ravage each other, right? I love a good ravaging. I miss that. Um, I'm living (laughs) vicariously through you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I hear that, you know, and there's so many ways that that you can implement that and that you can experience that kind of like ravaging. We just can't keep our hands off of each other's sex while still being able to experience your own individual sexuality. Yeah. And that, that's a whole other conversation, but... No, I I get that completely, yeah. I just want to say, at the heart of this, you know, you're not a terrible person for, like, <laughs> trying out this exercise or, you know, a bad wife for not asking him or any of this. You know, it's, it's all just about communication when it comes to what's going to work for us and what's not going to work for us when I it comes agree. to our sexual life. I agree completely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, I like it. No, I like it, and I agree. And uh, obviously, we need to... We need to discuss this, babe. And that's and that's why we have these callers with amazing
4: psychotherapists.
1: <laughs> I had no clue that question was going to be so upsetting. I, she's, oh, my goodness. Yeah.
4: Well, well, it's only upsetting because she cares about you. Right. And that's coming from a place of, of her caring for you. <laughs> you
1: All go. right. Perfect. Well, okay. Uh, Taylor, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for being on this Family Tree Podcast we
0: truly appreciate it yeah thank you so much for having me where can people find you online if they want to start following you if they want to get on your
4: vibe and uh See what you're all about. Yeah. So the best place to find me is on Instagram at Taymocha. Mocha. That's T A Y M O C H A. Um and it is not because I'm brown, it is because <laughs> my first cast name was Mocha Joe and I'm a crazy cat lady. I love um, it. and <laughs> yes, and you can find the podcast on any of your favorite podcast apps. It's called Let's Talk About It with Taylor Nolan. Uh, we also have a Instagram podcast page at Let's Talk About It underscore podcast. But yeah, I hope most the best way to for people to find me would just be at Tamoka on instagram lovely
0: we're taylor perfect. again thank you so much have a great rest of your week
4: yeah thank you so much you guys too
1: all yeah. right Bye-bye. take care okay so here's the point where taylor called us back to give us our private therapy session we can't thank her enough we were accidentally recording on it hey, there but obviously we will not play it for you because that was just between us. But we will go to our question segment right now. All right. Okay, so this is the part of the podcast where we answer listener questions.
0: Listener questions. Okay, Shane, we have our first listener question. Do you have any creative ideas for keeping toddler's artwork? Any creative ideas for keeping toddler artwork? Well, we go with the classic place fridge and fridge magnet.
1: So an easier way to say that would be no.
3: <laughs> no. We have
1: no creative ideas. We are not creative people in that way. We lose things. We What we do with all of our memorabilia is we actually have, what do you call that thing at the end of our bed?
0: Like a chest.
1: A chest. And we just shove all of our memorable stuff in there with the false ideology that one day we will put it together in this neat little booklet that's perfectly displayed and we'll wrap a ribbon on it. And then when we're 80 on rocking chairs, we'll be like, Oh, here's our life. And let's look through it. Oh, it's a great goal. But right now it's just a huge chest filled with loose scraps. And there's probably a quarter in there and, you know, a token from a weird vacation we were on.
0: But I have seen uh, via somebody else's Instagram A really cool thing they did in the playroom. So they took all the toddler artwork and they just put it all in like two-tone frames. So I think they used gold and white. And then they just had it kind of as the art in the playroom. And it it looked adorable. And the kids loved it, obviously, because then they got to show off their work. So that could be an option.
1: This doesn't answer the question, but just maybe an interesting fact. My mom used to keep my baby teeth in a styrofoam cup.
0: My mom still has, I think... Maybe not my, t- maybe my first tooth and then hair.
1: Yeah.
0: And we have Lucy's umbilical cord. Oh, nice. Do you I'm, know where that is? It's upstairs in her bathroom in the medicine drawer.
1: Oh, it's not in the chest. We got to throw that in the chest.
0: Yeah, it's weird though. It's pretty gross.
1: Okay, maybe we keep it out of the chest.
0: <laughs> Next question. I had a miscarriage a few months ago. I feel like I won't be whole again until I'm pregnant. Any advice? So. You want me
1: to handle this one or you?
0: I'll start and then you could take I'm over. kidding.
1: You just do it.
0: Well, you, you know a lot of what I'm thinking. Um, so for me, I knew that I only wanted, you know, I want two kids. I desperately want two kids. But then after my first and only miscarriage in the fall, I knew that my next pregnancy, whether it was successful or whether it was another loss, would be my last because I just personally couldn't put myself through that again. So for me knowing that the next try would be it was helpful and it was calming Uh, and then I you know I would discuss other options with Shane like possibly adoption or something else so that was helpful I know that wouldn't be helpful for everybody and I think in that situation you can only start feeling whole again once you've not been through the grieving process, but allow yourself to begin to go through the grieving process and the loss and start reaching out to other people and finding out how they started to feel whole again. For us, we became pregnant within the next cycle. So it was very easy for me to, you know, be excited about being a mother again. But then at the same time, pregnancy is scary after a loss. Pregnancy is always scary. But after a loss, those risks and those fears that you always have are just magnified. So I didn't even feel whole once I got pregnant. And I think that the wholeness that you're looking for needs to come from some other place of calm within you rather than possibly the pregnancy. Because I, I definitely did not feel whole and I was, I was on edge and just riddled with anxiety for the first two trimesters.
1: Yeah, I think finding other people in the exact same scenario as you it could be helpful because you know, when you join a community, when you get lots of people with all different experiences, you're going to find someone in the exact same position as you. And I do think that can be helpful and how to go forward and they they can sometimes come up with solutions if not to get pregnant again how to cope with not being able to get pregnant again if that's the situation you're in and that's why josiah and co is someone we're talking to on a upcoming episode Mm -hmm. but i do think you should check out their instagram right now
3: yep
0: so it's at josiah and co i will link it up uh but yeah finding that peace within yourself first from my perspective and then
1: but what if you can't find that peace within yourself, you yeah. might need somebody in a community. So my no. advice is better. <laughs> right.
0: You know what? I think maybe your I, advice de- no, is no, better. no, no. I, I don't necessarily think that. I think depending on the person, it you know, it, it definitely matters what helps you. But our next question. Does Lou watch Bluey? It's an Australian cartoon. Super sweet.
1: I've heard people talking about this. I actually I, I co-host another podcast and someone was just recommending it to the host of that podcast
0: I have never heard of that I'm shocked you know and I don't
1: apparently it's amazing
0: does the host of that podcast does his kid watch it
1: I think he's gonna start
0: do you know anything about it
1: just that it's amazing it's like how I heard about the show Dave right and I, I heard rumblings about it I just knew you and I were gonna love it and I think Bluey is a show we're gonna love
0: so it's like Dave for toddlers yeah I'm into it.
1: Could bluey our minds.
0: (laughs) All right. We have the next question. Did you get a better response from listeners when you asked together if anyone had questions? So this is in reference to me asking, like coming on my Instagram stories and saying, hey, does anyone have any questions tonight? And then getting, you know, very lackluster response. And then Shane coming on, And just saying hey do you guys have any questions and then getting hit with a million and one questions so this time we tried asking together and
1: I think it got mediocre results yeah and I don't think what's to blame is you are you sure positive what I've realized is it's desperation people like when they're needed Mm -hmm. and I think if your account is fairly successful I think it's like oh if I put my question in it's just gonna get buried in the mix And it's not going to be asked. But when I came on, I said, listen, we're desperate. We're dying (laughs) over here. We got nothing. They're like, oh, I actually matter. And sometimes in life, like I work in Toronto. When I'm walking around the streets out there, I feel like a decimal point. But living in Hamilton, I feel like a valued member of the community. And I think that's all people want to feel like is they're important and their contribution matters. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I made people feel that day.
0: I think that's a great description of it. And by the way, Hamilton, everybody is a somebody. I just want to throw that in. I love my city and like I feel like a rock star in Hamilton.
1: Nobody's not somebody here.
0: Right? All right. And we have our last question. You guys really are definition of teamwork makes the dream work.
1: Okay. Who is this person? Is this Miss Blondie?
0: This is Miss Blondie. Let's give
1: her a shout out right now. One, I love Miss Blondie. I
0: love Miss Blondie. The best question asker there is.
1: Uh, two, what was the question?
0: It was more of a statement. It was a statement. Well, I like statements. You guys really are the definition of teamwork makes the dream work. Shane, I want to ask you something along that. Do you think that we are the definition of teamwork makes the dream work?
1: I would have said it myself, but it would have sounded like bragging. But now that someone else has said it, I do think we are. And I do think uh, we fill each other's. No, that sounds. Bad. <laughs> we, we are. Um, what was the thing about deficits? We
0: each other's deficits. So we we fill each other's deficits. I don't we think compensate. fill. <laughs> uh,
1: we, we, no no. I guess there was the term you marry your deficits. Yeah. And I think that's what happened here. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's so many things that I can't handle in life, and you can handle them. And there's other things that you can't handle, and that I handle. Yeah. Right.
0: So who's I was going to
1: make it seem like the things I handle were so much harder and yeah, yeah, yeah. more important, but then I, I took the heat off that. Uh,
0: who's Scottie Pippen and who's Michael Jordan?
1: I think we're both Steve Kerr.
0: Okay, I like this. you explain why?
1: Well, just because we're using hard work and determination, and we know we might not have the most natural talents, but we're trying to transcend that.
0: I think that's perfect. I have very few natural talents, and it's just all just trying
1: yeah i'm not some genetic freak like i didn't lure you into my web with my my good looks i I that's exactly
0: what you did i
1: did yeah i was hoping you'd say that (laughs) all right is that the last question here
0: except for shane right now do you feel like you're on cloud nine or are you experiencing any lows
1: I feel like I'm on the precipice of a cloud nine. Certainly every day when I have my coffee at nine, when the caffeine kicks in, I am like ready to do anything, including beat Michael Jordan one on one. But when that I hate that when the crash after after the coffee wears off and then I start feeling that reality of, oh, like reality will sink in and I'll be like oh, I'm actually a mere mortal.
0: Look, I was just hoping to ask you and you say, yes, I am on cloud nine because I just complimented you. We're about to end the podcast. Lucy's in bed. You know?
1: Let's just keep the personality (laughs) you had before because this new Alex, I don't know if I can handle her. (laughs) Okay, well, you know, this episode was quite the ride. We laughed
0: cried a lot we
1: definitely cried i don't know if we did laugh we might we laughed at the end here so i'll say we laughed we cried Mm -hmm. we appreciate you so thank you so much for listening to this This
0: family Family tree Tree Podcast. podcast
2: episode 39